Hey everyone, Tim Wright here along with Dr. Michael Gurian for another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. And this is going to be a great episode for several reasons. First of all, I'm using a brand new computer, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, And uh, not that that will make any difference in the quality of my questions, but I'm using a new computer. Secondly, we've got a great question, which we'll get at in a moment. But most important of all, uh, in, in addition to our sponsors up in the Seattle area, the Center of Place of Hope, we have a new sponsor who believes in this podcast, believes in the work that the Green Institute is doing. They're called the Forge School. And Michael, you've got the relationship with them. Tell us a little bit about our new sponsors. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing what they're doing. It's a therapeutic uh, boys' school, boarding school, and uh, it's new. Uh, however, the group that's starting it, the Kalo Division of Embark, which is a larger corporation that has a number of, of uh, boys' and girls' schools, um, therapeutic schools, they are starting it, and there's a staff, um, uh, and it's starting this fall, just, just as this podcast is coming out on the future podcast, it's filling with students and with kids. It's in Benton, um, Tennessee, which is about an hour from Chattanooga, Tennessee, out on 55 acres that uh, abuts the river, and it's going to be adventure-based. I mean, it's it's all the the social, emotional, academic rigor, all of that. <coughs> Excuse me, but also adventure-based, hmm. and which means that they're doing a lot with outdoors. And um, I was honored to get called by the Kalo Division and by the Forge School staff to help consult with them, to um, because they want to. You know, it's going to be state of the art for boys. Uh, and I'm saying it's going to be because, of course, we're recording ahead of time. By the time you all are listening to this, um, you know, it's it, it'll be up and running. So if you if you know of a boy 13 to 17 who needs help or a family of a boy 13 to 17 who needs help, check out the Forge School and uh, you can access them uh, off the Wonder of webpage because we're linked to them. Well, it sounds like great work, and we're going to hear more about them as we go through our podcasts. Um, A very innovative idea, and we're really honored to have them a part of the Wonder of Parenting family. So thank you to the Forge School, and uh, we look forward to a long partnership together. Uh, Michael, the question that we have today comes from our Facebook page. If you you are a listener and you don't know about our Facebook page, uh, you just go to Facebook and search Wonder of Parenting and join the group. And always great questions there, parents who are conversing with each other. And uh, one of the questions that came up off of Facebook that I thought would be interesting for people is this one. Uh, It says, anyone with a boy who is identified by the school or the district as gifted. This was posted in one of my gifted parenting groups, Thoughts, and they have an article that refers to gifted uh, kids and particular gifted boys. I find it interesting after listening to the podcast and having read Saving Our Sons that how education is delivered isn't mentioned as a possible cause of underachievement in gifted boys. Gifted boys would be an interesting topic of a Wonder of Parenting podcast. So uh, not a lot of details, of course, in that particular question, but Michael, I know that you are aware of what they're talking about. You've had a chance to sort of look at the links. Can you start by defining for us how you would define a gifted student? Yeah, a gifted student is normally a student with what we call asynchronous development. Um, uh, so a- asynchronous development and advanced cognitive abilities, higher intellectual capacity, 
Um, so asynchronous means, right, you have a sort of norm of development and, and you look at 20 kids or 50 kids or a thousand kids and you say, okay, for, for a 13 year old, for a five year old, for a six year old, here would be synchronous development. They're all sort of developing this way, but here's this child that's asynchronous. So, uh, maybe in math, maybe in, in, um, reading, maybe in three or four areas of intellectual capacity or cognitive ability this child is ahead. Uh, and so in that sense, asynchronous. Um, asynchronous can also be used when we have a child who is behind, right? But that's gonna go in a different category than gifted. That's gonna go into learning different or learning disabled, um, learning challenged. So asynchronous is used for both, but in this case, we're talking about more advanced cognitive abilities. So generally speaking, this is going to be a student who would be ahead of, say, the rest of the class or most of the class, uh, and uh, therefore may need uh, a different approach to teaching or at least a different level of learning? Yeah, I think that's the key maybe to the question that's being asked here by our, our uh, listener. Um, and, and it's that, what do we do with gifted kids? And uh, they do need, you know, they do need different kinds of help um, quite often because a classroom tends to have to teach toward the mean or the middle. And if the classroom has a number of kids who are below the mean, let's say, you know, five to seven kids who actually need more, even more rudimentary help, then the teacher, you know, the teacher has 30 kids, 25 kids, whatever it is, the teacher is gonna keep teaching toward um, the kids who need the extra help and um, or and or or more rudimentary or at the mean, and so the gifted kids, you know, often I mean some schools will just put them in their own classrooms for part of the day, um, and some teachers will give them other jobs, and some parents will um, uh, and give them other projects so that they can learn at their pace, which will be a faster pace in this particular area, and then some parents even you know look around for a school that's just for gifted um, to help them. Because because the classroom is doing its best, but it can't it can't teach necessarily to the gifted um, unless it goes through some changes as a classroom. And this and then this uh, you know writer, our listener, who's saying, hey, why is it that there are more boys, gifted boys who are underachieving, than gifted girls who are underachieving? You know that adds another layer, and that is right. absolutely true. That in our school system as they're set up now we tend to have more gifted, underachieving boys than girls. So before we get to that, I just want to clarify, is there a difference between a gifted child and a smart kid? So I, I think about when I was in school, we probably didn't talk about gifted at that time so much, but we would have kids who were in the honors classes, and so they would be in honors English or honors math, and they just were a little bit ahead of the rest of us. Is that a gifted student, or is there a little different designation for a really smart kid versus a gifted kid? Um, I, yeah, it's it's you're right. It's by definition, uh, it's semantic in a way. It's going to depend on how the school system wants to identify the child to give this child maybe some extra help. Um, uh, a smart kid. Well, all of us, and especially all of you with grandkids, to joke for a moment. Right, all of your grandkids kids are gifted. Oh, of course. And I know I've heard you say this many times. And I, who am still waiting for grandkids, uh, I know that all of mine will be gifted. But we know, and they'll all be smart, etc. So, so when we, but when we look at a classroom or looking at look at a school building or a school system, 
um, we do see a lot of kids who are, we would say are quite smart, but we haven't categorized them as gifted. Um, when we categorize them as gifted, we're, we're going to put them in a slightly different system. So that, that's the difference. Um, I was, I'll use myself as an example. Everyone, I guess, could use themselves to try to figure it out. When I was growing up, just like you, you and I, you and I are about the same age. There, I don't remember there being gifted, but there was definitely honors. Um, I was in honors for some of my childhood. And I think we saw each other as being really smart, uh, but it was you know in a particular area. It, for me, it wasn't math. For me, it was everything having to do with language arts or, or reading or or writing. Um, I don't think I would have been categorized <clears throat> as gifted necessarily, um, or I certainly wasn't then, because like you say, it didn't really exist in that way. Uh, I, but I, you know, I was smart, but I don't know that I was gifted. I think that gifted here is a category to get them extra help. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Got it. Because I, I think about my uh, my daughter who, uh, you know, excelled in certain areas. And so we we put her in honors classes for a while. Uh, but it stressed her out, and we just said, it's not worth this. So we just put her back with the regular kids, regular, uh, with the other kids. And we did the same with my granddaughter for a while, where she excelled in some areas, but the the stress of being in that particular class just wasn't worth it. So um, I'm guessing that when we talk about gifted kids, it's not just about them being mentally uh, engaged at a different level, but there are also all those emotional and developmental issues that come into play as well. Yeah, and that's why that's why people, you know, think about it. Do we want to categorize this child as gifted? What what do we mean by that? How is that going to affect the child's trajectory in the school system? Um, you know, hopefully for the positive, but at the same time, some parents are making decisions like you're making, who are like, well, uh, maybe we don't want this child. You know, maybe we the socialization and social emotional learning in the school is better than than this child becoming isolated in some way. Um, so those are all individual decisions that parents and school systems make. Uh, if a child is gifted, you know, intellectually gifted, I'm, uh, let's pick uh, math, just really clearly gifted in math. Uh, I have seen families decide not to get the designation just because sometimes that's the very same child who is uh, slower to mature social emotional and they want to help the child mature social emotional. So they, you know, they wait to designate that child as gifted until the child is basically forcing it, you know, because the mm -hmm. child is so bored in the, in the, in the normal quote unquote math class. Right. 
So before we get to the actual question, let, I, I just want to give a shout out to our other sponsor. They've been with us for such a long time, and, and uh, we are so appreciative of them. Uh, the Center of Place of Hope up in the Seattle area, Edmonds. And um, our good friend, Dr. Greg Jantz, is the director of that organization, and they do such good work. And uh, even if you don't take advantage of their inpatient uh, offer opportunities for all the different things, stress, eating disorders, and so on, Greg himself is a prolific writer who has all kinds of books on any topic you can think of that has to do with your well-being or the well-being of your kids. So you can also learn about them. Uh, at wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, where you have links to both of our sponsors, the Forge School and the Center of Place of Hope. So, uh, Michael, the question now is, uh, is it possible that some of these underachieving gifted boys are underachieving because of how education is delivered? And this is certainly an interesting question because we've talked about this on other podcasts about how schools have tended to maybe uh, teach in, in many ways, to a girl brain than to a boy brain, and that's overgeneralizing. Um, but let's talk about the delivery system for a gifted boy and what the challenges might be for him. Right. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, I so appreciate this this writer writing in, this listener writing in. You know, um, very insightful because it is true, as we noted, that that gifted boys tend to underachieve more than gifted girls do, and the stats are around um, somewhere around. 50% of gifted boys underachieving uh, and somewhere around 25% of gifted girls. So obviously, you know, that's a big gap. That's about double the amount. Um, the When folks study this, there's an interesting thing I notice when, when folks are studying this. So usually gifted children are studied psychosocially, sociologically, um, uh, and, and, the, and the studies will indicate, the studies that come out will indicate, well, Look, we think the boys are these gifted boys are underachieving because they have to dumb themselves down in order to belong in their peer group. And that's kind of the that folks are kind of looking for what they find, you know, and finding what they look no, for. Right. And I've noticed over the decades of watching this that as you indicated, I don't find when people do meta-analyses, let's say, of, you know, they take 20 studies on gifted children and they do a meta-analysis and the meta-analysis puts together, um, you know, the best of the 20 studies. And and sure enough, you know, what they end up with is finding that those 20 studies also found that the reason is that the boys dumb themselves down because they want to belong and they want to um, not, you know, they want to appear more masculine. And that's kind of the language. And then they see learning as not being masculine. And it's it, to me, it's really a fascinating part of our cultural zeitgeist that academics don't even realize they're involved in. And that zeitgeist is we need to make sure we, when boys are not succeeding, that we say it's because they're pretending to be masculine and and that kind of thing. And you and I have talked about that before. And I really think it is much more nuanced. And I, I, I would beg the next phase, the next group of folks who study this to add to their study, what about the way that a classroom is laid out? What about the way the male brain is not a fit for tra for traditional education or what would be our common way of educating right now? Uh, they don't do that in these studies. So the meta-analyses don't show that. But if they did do it, they would find that a primary reason that gifted um, boys are underachieving in comparison is, is the boy issue. 
the way the schools and the classrooms are not set up. They're mismatched with the male brain. And that is, of course, not fault of anyone. Um, we've, as we've noted before, teachers, just like I wasn't taught this when I was in college and grad school, teachers are still not taught about male brain and how different male brain and female brain are, especially how differently boys and girls learn. So here now you have gifted boys who are in a classroom, even one set up for gifted kids, but those teachers are not trained in this. And um, so they try to they try to work with the kids and say, you know, you don't have to dumb yourself down. Um, uh, you, can, you can achieve. Um, and they're working with that concept that has been taught to them academically, um, but the academic world hasn't taught them that actually a lot of what's going on for these boys is the classroom doesn't get them. And a, and a way to just one quick thing I'll say that maybe will cement this for folks is that a lot of gifted kids are asynchronous in a certain area like um, like math or like, you know, um, language arts. So in other words, they're really gifted in a certain area, but they're still boys. So they right. still don't have the kind of frontal lobe development that girls have. They still don't organize things as well as girls do of the same age. They still don't organize their papers as well. And this is on average. There are some very well-organized gifted boys, but on average, um, they still behave like boys. So they still are going to get in trouble in the classroom because they're behaving like boys, which is that they're taking more risks or they're being loud or they're posturing or, you know, all the things that they as a 12 year old boy, let's say, are going to do that the classroom needs to understand. If the classroom doesn't understand these things, they're still going to underachieve, you know, whether they're gifted or not. They'll be great readers, but they're going to underachieve in comparison to girls. So I do think that that certainly some of it can be for some boys. They they want to be more masculine. But I, I really see that as kind of a an older concept that is going to go away as people now study more deeply the mismatch between male brain and the gifted male brain and the school. So let's let's talk a little bit. We've done this before in podcasts, but I'm I'm guessing that many of the 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 practices that you would recommend for any school with boys and girls in it would be some of the same things that you would say for a classroom with gifted boys. What would be some things that parents should be looking for for their gifted boys in the classroom, and what are some things that teachers should be implementing for gifted boys in the classroom? Okay. Um, one thing is study skills. Study skills and time management are crucial to teach gifted kids, uh, good for all kids, um, especially, though, for gifted boys. So just because they're smarter in a certain area, they still are, are going to need study skills help and they're still going to need time management help. And um, or all that giftedness, you know, is just going to end up with them underachieving. So uh, that would be number one for both teachers and parents. Um, and the teachers who teach in the gifted world know this, um, but we got to tell the parents this. So help them with study skills, help them with time management. That's going to mean ritualizing some of their study habits at home. Uh, that's going to mean helping them with their folders, um, you know, to make sure their folders are organized into their different classrooms. Uh, even if the child is 12 or 13 and you think, oh, come on, this child should be able to organize. Uh, you still, you look at the child where the child is and, you you know, we look at that brain development. We say these, these gray matter areas for math are coming in fast, but the, the linkage to the frontal lobe for organization not coming in as fast for a boy. So we're going to help the boy with that. That's going to be the first major area, study skills and time management. If we do that, 
that's going to that's going to help a lot. Okay, and then we can now start looking at um, other smaller nuanced areas. One new nuanced area I'll, I'll lay out is video games. For a, a lot of gifted kids, uh, gravitate toward video games and that kind of stimulation. And we're going to have to, uh, and especially because they get bored in school, um, or they just go, "Hey, I'm you know I'm really smart. I don't care about what's going on at school." And they're also not organized. They're not, you know, they're kind of failing and underachieving. And they move over to something like video games that they achieve at very well. Um, just a warning for parents um, is, you know, the no video games on a school night kind of thing is crucial for them. We want to get them more focused on education so they don't underachieve. And then video games can be, you know, on the weekends, that kind of thing. And also for gifted kids, kind of a slash video game slash chess. Chess is a really great thing to teach gifted kids, and it's um, uh, even better for the brain, you know, in the long term than video games, even though video games are fine. But chess is, once they get chess, they're going to feel that giftedness come out. A lot of them will. Um, obviously, gifted programming. So both parents and teachers need to be lobbying for budgets for gifted classrooms, uh, programming for gifted resources for gifted kids, um, all of which exist, and there's very robust. And the school systems need to provide those. And a lot of them do, thankfully. Um, a lot of gifted kids want to be self-starting. They want to be independent. Uh, they do you know, understand that in some ways they're very smart and they don't want to be sort of fascistically controlled. you know. So um, that's, that's good. So we give them areas in which they can be independent, but in areas where they're where they need help, we give them help. In areas where they're independent, we go, you know, go for it. You're fine in that area. You don't need me hovering. And that's good. That's actually really good for them. So whatever those islands of competence are, those gifted areas, figure out what they are, one or two or three of them, and say, okay, in that area, I'm not going to be on you, but I'm, you know, you're accountable. So two weeks from now, I'm going to look at what you've achieved. There's still accountability, but we allow them um, independence. And also remember that gifted kids can sometimes struggle with perfectionism. Not always, but sometimes. And um, if they're struggling with that and they're becoming anxious, they're perfectionist, you know, we can get them counseling help. We ourselves can talk to them about it and say, okay, look, this kind of comes with, sometimes it comes with the gifts you have. So, uh, you know, it's okay to fail. And, you know, as they do something that they don't like, we can say, yeah, but actually it was really good. Here's what was really good in the way you did that. So that the normal things we would do to support them and to support perfectionist kids knowing that what they have is a hidden and unconscious fear of failure you know they see themselves as so gifted and so smart and in some ways they they really are that that they just don't feel like they can fail and if they fail it, it derails them and um so we have to do that you know the the base same basic stuff that we would do for any child hey it's okay to fail okay to take risks you learn from those get get back up again you know that kind of thing keep Keep giving that message, especially if you have a, a, a son or daughter who um, who's gifted but perfectionist and fears failure. Uh, we, I, I, this may be a stereotype, but usually when I think about gifted students, you you usually think about the. Uh, well, for lack of a better word, the chess nerds, maybe they don't have all these things in school these days, but you don't often think about them as being the sports athletes and so on. But movement must be important, especially for gifted boys and sports. Well, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, gifted boys, like all boys, are going to need classrooms to to modulate toward 
you know, getting, let the kids get up and moving every 10 to 20 minutes, all the basic stuff we've already talked about are going to be crucial um, uh, in any classroom. And that absolutely can include athletics. There are a lot of athletically gifted kids, yep. but as you've said, the, the asynchronous development, you know, that kind of thing we res reserve gifted quote unquote for cognitive ability. Whereas we know that a lot of athletes really are asynchronous. They're just more gifted than other kids. Mm -hmm. um, and the connection to movement, yeah, that's one of the basic strategies. So if we get into the basic strategies that are good for boys, physical movement every 10 to 20 minutes while they're doing their lessons, uh, if they need it, uh, keeps their brain more awake, using more visuals and visual graphics whenever needed to help them organize. Gifted graphic organizers can be really great for gifted kids to organize, especially if they're younger, sort of seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, um, to organize. So graphic organizers, if someone types that into Google, you'll find a lot on that right away. Uh, those sorts of basic things. We want to remember that wh why, why those basic uh, classroom changes for boys? Because they're good for girls, but, um, but gifted boys, again, are gifted boys, and gifted girls are gifted girls. And the frontal lobe is, is developing more quickly and the connectivity of the frontal more quickly in girls. And so a lot of the girls can do a lot of stuff sooner than boys can. And girls also have the serotonin moving through and the brain chemistry that allows them to sit still longer without losing um, you know, achievement or education. Uh, boys have different hormonology, testosterone, vasopressin, right? And so they do need these basic things like more movement. Um, to keep their brains going. Uh, I just sent you <clears throat> an opinion piece from a, a professor, college professor who re uh, retired after 30 years. And there's a lot of stuff in this opinion piece. But one of the things that he is concerned about is the increasing emphasis in classrooms of what he calls making them therapy classrooms, where it's about keeping kids safe as they're learning, uh, building self-esteem, um, all of those things that um, sometimes can rob kids of risk-taking and uh, this ability to, to have opportunities to fail and to find out that failure is okay. And one of the things I hear you saying is that uh, we want to create environments, especially for our boys, where they can do what they do, and that's take risks, learn to succeed, and learn to fail. We don't always want to make them feel safe. We just want to make sure that they uh, feel trusted and valued, of course. Um, when you when you hear something like that, that the classroom is built for nurturing and for self-esteem and for being therapy and safe, what are the positives and negatives for that when it comes to a gifted boy? Well, yeah, I think what's happened <clears throat> to some extent, uh, well, okay, positives for any child, uh, gifted otherwise, positives of kind of giving support and always being nurturing, you know, there are definitely positives of that. And, um, and, and that works better for some kids than others, depending on what the person means by, you know, safe, nurturing, and therapy session. To, to some extent, we, we probably have to do a whole podcast on that, just to kind of look at the nuance of what folks mean yep. by that and what they're doing. Um, uh, overall, I mean, that, that's a nice thing, but it, it, it shouldn't take over. It shouldn't be six hours a day of, of um, focus on kind of thin self-esteem focus without focus on resilience and adversity and, you know, right. these other things that are important for maturation. And, and I think he was writing, especially about college. And that's, yes. that's where, boy, you know, that's where I think we're making a significant error 
because college students are now 18 to, to 22 or older. And, and they, their maturation is such that they can take much more adversity. And when I was teaching, I taught 11 years, right, at the college level. And, and back then in the 80s, early 90s, you know, we were, we were more allowed to make college a rite of passage um, for kids, you know, to kind of initiate them into adulthood through college. And, you know, if they were posturing or saying something that was just wrong, you know, we would, well, that's just, you know, come on, you're, you're just posturing. You didn't study anything, you know, and we were, we were really allowed to present a little bit of adversity to try to help them mature. And, um, uh, gosh, now, uh, I know from colleagues, I'm not in the college classroom anymore, but I know from colleagues that, that, that college is not that anymore. It is it is not an initiation experience that takes you from boyhood to manhood or, or girlhood to womanhood, in other words, to adulthood, um, to a great extent, you know, some people are still doing it, but to a great extent, it's this other thing. And and that's where I think the biggest error is because those kids are mature enough and old enough to take the adversity and they really need, you know. Now, if we're talking about a seven or eight year old, I, okay, I can definitely see us moving more toward that, that, you know, nurturing supportive model and not pushing the resilience as much, even though I particularly do like teaching resilience, but mm-hmm. I can see it. As kids yet to be teenagers, I, I think we have to be really careful about buying into the concept that, uh, that, oh, this is a gifted girl or a gifted boy. We're talking about them for this podcast. And so we can't really say critical things or we can't, you know, uh, present obstacles. No, I think that's absolutely incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. That's a whole another podcast because it is such an interesting topic on so many levels. So, well, Michael, this has been really good. Man, the time really went fast as it always does. So I appreciate uh, all of your insights and for our Facebook uh, friends who were debating and talking and discussing and offering insights into this question. I hope that this was helpful in, in terms of your discussion there. Uh, again, if you want to go to our Facebook page, uh, you just type in Wonder of Parenting and uh, you'll be able to join that group. A lot of good people, parents who really care about their kids and a lot of different resources for you there. And of course, wonderofparenting.com has links to our sponsors, links to the different products that we've created that can help you in raising your kids. And uh, so we, as always, we appreciate you listening and for sharing this podcast with your friends. Michael, thank you so much for your time as always. Oh, Tim, thanks. Great questions. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back with you again for our next Wonder of Parenting podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.